Hello, Cedar Mill. My name's Andrew Palau, and it's great to be with you this Sunday. And uh, good morning. And uh, my wife, Wendy, and I and our family make Cedar Mill Bible Church our home, and we love it. And we thank God for this place, and we thank God for Dave and Amy and all the leadership here, the staff, the elders, the pastors, and especially for you. This place is like an oasis to us and to all of the community. It's an oasis, a place where people can come and receive the the, the good news of Jesus and uh, walk in the fullness of the Spirit and uh, gather together. It's great to gather together. I know you're watching, so you haven't been able to, but we're gathered together in this way, and it's extraordinary. Think of all as God has done in the last 16 months of uh, these lockdowns that we've been in. But uh, summer is here. It's going to be a great summer, and I want to encourage you, when you feel the the Lord prompting you, come back to church. Uh, when you feel right about it and good in your spirit, we long to see you here. Last week was my first Sunday back in 16 months to Cedar Mill. I've been to some other churches around the world, uh, but I hadn't been here and man, was it refreshing. So if you're feeling it, don't let anything stop you. Come back to the Oasis, Cedar Mill Bible Church and bring everybody with you. People are longing to hear good news. Last week, Dave launched us on a five-week series that is called... Lessons from the lockdown. And I'm going to share today from Mark 2. Uh, one of the lessons from the lockdown that's not from Mark 2, though, is Genesis 2 when it says it is not good to be alone. So come to church when you're feeling it. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I think you'll be greatly encouraged. And we're going to move in that direction, asking God for healing uh, of the nations and healing uh, related to this pandemic so we can have those kind of freedoms. But the Lord's will be done. But before I go into Mark 2, I just wanted to uh, do one thing. I wanted to pray for Carl and Carolyn Palmer. We prayed for them last week. This idea of lessons for the lockdown was Carl's initial idea, but uh, he wasn't able to come and share uh, in this season as he's working through living with his cancer and the uh, 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 and the response to that. So let's pray for him. He told me that he loves to hear from you and he loves the messages of encouragement that you've been giving and that he is continually, he said, continually experiencing God's grace in fresh and different ways. So praise God. Let's pray for Carl. And let's pray for Dave and Amy. You know, in getting ready for this time, I picked up from Dave how grateful he is. He loves it here. Amy and Dave love Cedar Mill Bible Church, and uh, they're grateful for this sabbatical. And they're anticipating fresh and growing vision to come into their hearts through the Holy Spirit of God as a result. And think of this. I wanted to emphasize, thank God that Dave is not going on a sabbatical in a sense of urgency or emergency, uh, that this is not like a last-ditch effort of exhaustion, like how can I go on? If someone reached that, we want to encourage them and help them. But in this case, how good. This is a wisdom issue that the elders are sending Dave off with approval and prayers, and we want to join them in prayers. This is not a desperate, but rather a thrilling uh, opportunity that they would hear from the Lord. They're going to the mountaintop, and uh, we'll be the great uh, beneficiaries of that when they return as we continue to partner with them by praying for them. So let's pray now. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time where we could sit together and uh, think of you and look at your word. Uh, speak to us now. We thank you for Carl and all the leadership here over the many years at Cedar Mill Bible Church. We pray for his healing and his health and his joy, and he, we thank you that he is uh, experiencing your goodness 
as he always preached, and he's experiencing it in these fresh ways. Bless our dear brother. Bless Dave and Amy and the family as they are out. That They would hear your still small voice and uh, respond to say yes, and we can't wait until they're back again, but until then, bless them richly. And bless our time together as we look at Mark to speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, one last thought before we jump into Mark 2. I also wanted to add my gratitude to you all as the body of Christ here uh, for loving our family so deeply in the season of dad's home going. We miss him. He's amazing. Keep praying for us all. Pray for mom. She's amazing too. But uh, you know, it's been an extraordinary outpouring of love and concern and help from the church family. And that's what the body of Christ is all about, right? Jesus is with us in so many ways through his people. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus in our life in this time. Um, you know, it's been around a hundred years of partnership between the family uh, before dad got involved, the Schofield family, that's mom, uh, at Cedar Mill Bible Church as a girl and her mom and dad before that. Dad and mom were commissioned out of the church um, and behind the scenes, uh, you guys have supported in every single possible way. We have been sent to advance the gospel. My wife, Wendy, and I commissioned about 20 years ago, and we continue on. Dad is in heaven, but there's much left to do. The Great Commission uh, is still before us, and this is the generation that we are responsible for, and we're going for it. So even that is part of what I want to discuss with you today as we look at Mark 2, the Great Commission, what God wants us uh, to be involved with in our life once we've been rescued and begin to walk with Jesus Christ. What do we do? He puts new desires in our hearts. Let's look at this passage. It's amazing. It's in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, the accounting of the life of Jesus Christ uh, by Mark and um Dave was talking last week about that this series of the things we've learned in the lockdown is really about the fundamentals. He shared an illustration about basketball, that when he did so bad, which I'm not really surprised that his basketball team wasn't that good. Just joking, Dave. But uh, I remember uh, there's a, a coach for the UCLA Bruins, um, John Wooden, one of the greatest coaches of all time. He won the NCAA basketball championship 10 years out of 12, unheard of. And every year, even though he's dealing with the best basketball team in the history of college basketball, every year he would start in the same way. I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times and he would get before those group of accomplished young basketball players and he would say, this is a basketball, right? And the point is, it was the fundamentals and the foundational things that helped them to become great. And we want to become great in our life. We want our lives to matter and to count in the spiritual realm. And uh, this passage, Mark 2, much like last week's passage in Matthew 5, when we talked about the Beatitudes, it's one of those places where Jesus just stops and says, I know it's complicated. I know it's mysterious and it's hard to understand at one level in one sense, but let me bring this down to something very um, accessible. Let me make it simple and put this foundation stone before you so you can grab it and make it a part of the rest of your life. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here in Mark 2. And keeping in mind as we read this that Jesus is alive, right? This is an historical reality, but Jesus is alive. And there is a vibrant, ongoing work of the Spirit through His people 
all these thousands of years since that time. And I want you to get a big vision for your life. Jesus is alive. He's doing great miracles and he wants to do them in you and he wants to do them through you. And when I read this uh, passage, uh, this section of miracles, this is what makes me say in my heart, this is what my God is like, right? This is why I'm so thankful to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want to be a part of this. So let's see what uh, it says here. Um, also, you can read a few extra details in Luke 5 and Matthew 9. It's not a parable. It's a real encounter. Uh, so let it come alive. Even if you've read this a thousand times, it's about the four friends that lower their paralytic friend through the roof uh, before the feet of Jesus. So you remember those faithful ones, let it come alive in a fresh way. So in terms of background, it's early on, Jesus has been baptized. He's gone out into the desert and tempted by Satan and he thwarted Satan with the word of God. John the Baptist has now been imprisoned. So things are heating up, but Jesus is teaching and preaching and proclaiming the good news and teaching about the kingdom and doing great miracles. And as a result, many crowds are beginning to gather everywhere he goes. And he can no longer, it says, enter into many of the towns because of the crowds. So he's gone out to the lonely places. But here he comes back to this place that's become kind of like his home territory. It's uh, by the Sea of Galilee. It's a town called Capernaum, and some people say, I don't know exactly where they get this, but it stands to reason, it makes sense, that this occurrence may have happened at the house of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So that's kind of funny, but it might make sense. You remember Simon Peter's mother-in-law was recently healed from a great sickness. So when you think of the people crowding around this house and filling it and tearing the roof out of it, off of the top of it, who else would let someone do that? Well, somebody who's been recently rescued and healed by Christ, they'd say, ah, what do I care about this stuff? Jesus has healed me. So maybe that's why they think that. It makes sense. I'm sure there's other things, but let's read it. You're going to love it. Um, and this is what it says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them, and since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law, they were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all, and this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And can't you just imagine those four friends, full of faith, but still, uh, if faith is being certain of things unseen, there was something 
that they were hopeful for, certain of, but unaware, like how will it happen? What will happen? And they're there and they're looking down the hole in the roof, I suppose. Uh, and they see this occurrence that we just read about and they must have jumped up and then dancing around. I won't do any dances uh, that can be captured uh, on video for future harassment, but imagine them dancing and excited about this incredible experience they've had, their friend healed and forgiven. Imagine that, and I'm so challenged. Every time I read this, and I've read it many, many times, but each time my faith is revived to to action, and I want to be a part of this. This is as relevant today as it would have been as if it would have happened yesterday down the street and we hear about it and we'd be contemplating it. We should think that seriously about it. I want to be like that because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This message is for us today. So one thing that I learned from Carl Palmer uh, over the years is as you're breaking down a passage, trying to understand it, maybe trying to teach it or share about it with someone, One of the great things to do is just look at each character, try to imagine and see what the text says about what they're experiencing. What did they say? What did they hear? How did they respond? And you put all the pieces together and you begin to get a picture of what really happened. So if we do that in this story, there are three main groups that we can look at. And the first one, of course, is Jesus because Jesus is there and uh, he, he, as usual, is way ahead. He's not waiting. He's poised and he's ready. He's full of action and he's preaching the word to the people there. And uh, he's delivering to us even in this passage uh, our calling. He's giving uh, the calling to his followers, affirming to us the work that is ahead of us, the things that we can do to draw people likewise to the good news, into the kingdom. And all around in the New Testament, we see the ways in which he tries to help us to understand our calling and our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. He says, you're fishers of men. He says, you are um, ambassadors, right? He says, you are witnesses and we're to testify. He says, we are like Farmers uh, working in the fields, swinging the sickle, sowing the seed, bringing in the harvest. And he gives us all of these pictures. And here's that place where it becomes very, very clear and very simple. And yes, the first thing that we see is that he forgives this man's sins. Now, I don't know if that is what was in the heart of these people as they first came. Their friend is sick and he's dying and they bring him and they're, they're hoping for uh, healing. But the first thing that God knows his greatest need, he says, your sins are forgiven. And yes, he brings that beautiful physical healing. But first he says, son, good news, your sins are are forgiven and that man is restored in his relationship to God. His sins are forgiven. The shame and the guilt and the burdens of life are lifted and as an evidence of his authority to do this, he heals him physically and the man walks out in full view of them all. Now that's Jesus, right? So that's the one person we can think about. The other group is, it talks about some men, right, these men, out of which, so there's more than four, but there's these four sort of bold and special ones. Maybe they're just stronger, uh, willing, and they're carrying the mat of their friend. And uh, you think of this poor fellow on the mat. It's hard to know who he was or what it was all about, but he's obviously uh, someone's son, 
a brother in a family. He has many friends. There's all this group around him. When they hear the good news that Jesus is back in town, they rush and they grab him together uh, and they run to take this man. They're gravely concerned about him. I'm sure that if they were this rallied to take care of him, they would have had experience with trying to get him help in many other places. It's safe to assume through the doctors in any way they can get help. And now they're at the end of the rope and they're just going to see here's a man that that uh, they say he might be the messiah and he's healing people let's get our friend down there but the hard news is we talked about it earlier it, it it's evident that jesus is no longer coming in the cities he's out in the distant places in the lonely places so they're wondering what are we going to do now with our friend and then the word comes jesus is back good news and he's over at simon peter's mother-in-law's house so they run they get their friend they rush down there and then all of a sudden bad news right difficulty, uh, hurdles and setbacks and burdens become heavy and so many opportunities to give up. Um, and, uh, and, and these guys face the crowd and these awkward move moments uh, trying to get people to move. And I'm sure other people, they're like, hey, I got my sick friend. I'm not moving. I was here first. It's not a good time. Maybe we should deal with this later. Uh, and, and I suppose the burden is getting heavy. And then they decide somebody gets a brilliant idea. It's kind of a bad idea, don't you think? Someone gets the idea. I know what we should do. Let's get him up on the roof, dig a hole in it, and let's drop him down there. Bad idea. First of all, who gave him permission to dig a hole in Simon Peter's mother-in-law's roof? Who's going to pay for it? What a disaster. What a mess. But I love these guys. I love their attitude. It's awesome. They're eager, childlike, pure, and shameless in their expectation uh, to just do anything they could to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. And last week, Dave talked about, in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. And he talked about the very first one that's listed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? What is the result of being poor in spirit? It says, for they will, uh, they will see the kingdom of God, right? And here these people, they've gotten to be poor in spirit. They don't care about anything around them. Who would ridicule them? Uh, and they're poor in their spirit. And the result is they enter in to bringing the kingdom of God home. And I know this is true in my life. Uh, uh, to be forgiven and to be healed out of a poverty of spirit is the most beautiful experience in the world. I hope you'll experience it today. These are lessons from the lockdown. The other uh, uh, one that, uh, Beatitude that uh, Dave talked about last week, blessed are the pure in heart. And I always thought about these guys, the purity, the childlike uh, desire for these people to just get their friend to the feet of Jesus. The result, they will see God. And didn't these people see God? It seems like all of them saw God. It says, everybody said at the end, what did they say? They were amazed. We've never seen anything like this. But... Did everybody see it? It doesn't seem like that's the case because moving into the third set of people, we see what Jesus was doing. We see what these people were experiencing. But then there's this other group who didn't seem to catch it. They couldn't see it in the midst of the pressures and the tragedies and, the, and all of the issues of life. They could not take the blinders off and see. And it's a group, they're called the scholars, right? And I don't like to take too much time on them. They're so annoying, but uh, we've all been there ourselves, right? And it's something we have to uh, think about in life. They do not have a purity of heart. 
They do not have a posture of humility. They take on a different kind of posture of pausing and doubt and hesitation and questioning. Why, why, why? It doesn't make sense. I can't understand it. It doesn't fit in to my way of thinking. And who's gonna pay for this whole mess anyway? All these questions, cynicism and negativity uh, uh, take over. And uh, even though the main thrust of this passage is about who has authority to forgive sins. So if that's one of the main theological questions answered in this passage, what's the answer? Who has authority to forgive sins? Jesus, there's the short answer. So that's important, there's a lesson for you. But of the many, many lessons that are touched on in this rich passage, I think that the one that Mark most wanted to reveal to us the most obvious application, and it is this, God responds to this kind of faith. And I wanna urge you today to let your faith be revived. Believe God in a fresh way. Let a purity of faith bubble up in your life in a fresh way. You notice it's, you have to take note that he says, uh, he says, that when he saw their faith, right? I know that hasn't escaped your attention. He saw their faith. That causes God to respond in the way he does. And how did that faith that he saw, how did it evidence itself so that he would say that he saw it? Well, it was an outward evidence that he commended, an inward reality that began to evidence itself outward, and that is that they were poor of spirit. They had nowhere else to turn. Uh, and they were uh, pure of heart, trusting and putting their full faith that Jesus will do something. He is the one with the answer. And it's daring action, difficult, dangerous, costly, sacrificial, controversial, uh, a great humbling, a loving, intentional, risking of relationships, eager to do anything to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus. And how I pray today that you will be revived in that sense for your own life, that you could be used in the same way that these friends are used. And uh, one of the things that always occurs to me and I hope you've thought of it, and if you haven't, I'm gonna cause you to think about it right now. Think of the four, those special ones in your life, four. I said three on one hand and four on the other, that's eight. Who knows how many people God used in your life? For me, it was hundreds, but there was a special group. I think of mom and dad, Kevin, Keith, and Steve, my brothers, and many others here at Cedar Mill Bible Church. Thank you for being engaged in my life. But those ones, those special ones, that when you were in your deep spiritual paralysis, unable to do anything for yourself, these are the ones that loved you so much trusted Jesus so much for you that they carried your mat all along in life. And for me, it was 27 years. I'm so sad to think how many wasted years, but God wastes nothing. 27 years, I'm ashamed to say I just wandered around. Even though I had this great church home, I didn't see a lot of hypocrisy. I didn't suffer any abuses. I know some people do those things and they still have to find their way to Jesus. But for me, the Bible says we're all without excuse. But I've always thought to myself, me more than any, I had this great church home, great examples. My parents loved me. They were faithful. They're not perfect, uh, but they, they were changed and growing. They loved me. 
despite those great blessings and many others, I'm sad to say from the youngest of ages, I turned my back on the things of God and the way of my family. And I just ran after all the, just the very typical things, alcohol and drugs and all the relationships that go along with that parting lifestyle and uh, went that way for 27 years. Through high school, right down the road here, off to the University of Oregon, and outside of the constraints of home, I went downhill fast and I just peeped into my life all of the garbage uh, 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 that the world has to offer. And uh, even though I kept a mask for the outside to say to the world, everything's fine, in my heart, in reality, I was going into the pit and graduated from the university and I moved out to Boston and worked my way up the corporate ladder at a company out there. That's a really positive way to put it. If you really knew what was going on, you'd laugh, but I could say that. And uh, there I was. I had slowed down my parting, not for spiritual reasons, but just because I had to get up and go to work in the morning. But nothing had changed in my heart except for this. I began to realize that everything that had begun for fun had now enslaved me. And I could pick on a number of things that had started for fun. I was blind to the implications or actually I had maybe been warned even, but I was so selfish and self-centered that I didn't really care about the repercussions. I just wanted what I wanted. I went that direction. I'll just pick on one. Alcohol was a trap for me. And I've shared this with some of you many times, but uh, alcohol, you know, uh, it it became like... um, like an anchor to me. And it it was like my way of escaping. And I would have never said it to anybody, but uh, you know, I I never went to bed sober because if I wasn't out partying with friends, I would just sit by myself in my little apartment and drink beer, watch TV late into the night until I passed out. And uh, all of that was to hide from the reality that I was facing, the shame and the guilt and the humiliation and the the, the, the people that I had hurt, all of those things were in my conscience and my conscience was bothering me and I could never go to bed at night sober. I'm not sure if you've ever had this kind of situation, but I could never lay in my bed at night in the dark sober because in that situation, my mind would just flood with all of the garbage of my life and it would haunt me and the faces of the people that I had hurt would come before me and I had all these fears and conflicting ideas. Uh, I, I was fearful about my future in this world and my future for eternity. And if you would have asked me back then about eternity, I would have said something like this to you. These things are unknowable. They're beyond the mind of man to comprehend. And I would have given you some philosophical, pseudo-intellectual baloney I learned at the University of Oregon. I didn't understand it, but I knew if I just threw it in your face aggressively enough, you'd back down and say, okay, okay, I get it. You seem pretty convinced. But you know what? I wasn't convinced. I was just afraid and selfish and I I didn't want to really face the reality that was my life. So to avoid all of that stuff, the greatest, easiest way to deal with it was just to drink every night. So I never had to lay in my bed sober, harassed by that reality. Well, that's just a little bit of a picture in five minutes of 27 years of my life. And my poor parents, you know, those 27 years, it didn't go that fast. For me, uh, it, it, it was just something I was living for them. They were watching. They had tried everything. They had great hopes for me, great desires for me. Uh, and they never gave up on me. They just carried my mat. And the things that they did, and I want to encourage you about these things. 
lessons for your pandemic, right? If you have people and you're carrying their mat and the burden seems heavy, I want to tell you what my mom and dad and many others did for me. Straight from the word of God, they prayed for me and they had many people praying for me. Many of you prayed for me and I always stop and try to tell you if you'll give me a chance, thank you for never giving up on me, praying for me. My parents knew that if anything good was gonna happen in my life, it would be God's work. And, and so they went before the king and begged for my life. Great power in prayer. I wish we had more time to talk about that. But they didn't only pray. The other thing they did, they shared the gospel with me, the good news of Jesus Christ. They were not ashamed of it, even though it was awkward and they tried so many times and I had resisted and ignored it and argued it many, many times. They never gave up. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They knew it was the power of God for salvation. And they didn't want me to just be a good boy and be more obedient to them and stop causing so much trouble. They were dreaming of my healing and my restoration that I would become a man of God. Imagine the faith that they must have had to believe that from that position that I was in, that God, through the good news of Jesus Christ, if I would believe it and receive it, it would transform me. They'd experienced it themselves. They had preached it a thousand times. They had seen so many people experience that transformation. They had to believe it for me, and they did believe it for me. And the evidence of their confidence of the power of the gospel was they shared it with me. And in so many ways, from the beginning, as a young boy, they would uh, take me for walks. Dad especially would take me for walks, and it was so awkward. You know those kind of experiences where somebody feels God's really compelled me to share with you about the cross of Jesus Christ, his death on your behalf to forgive you and give you a fresh start and to tell you about the Holy Spirit to empower you, to give you a a, a new uh, power that you haven't had before. And and he would tell me about the Holy Spirit and he would tell me about heaven uh, and he's there now experiencing it. He was dedicated uh, to telling people about it and he told his very own son. And I'm so glad uh, that they never gave up. They tried everything. They would send me books. Dad wrote me these amazing letters. I hope you'll get a chance to look at them someday. The heart of a father for his son. Son, I love you. Um, uh, God will make you into his man if you'll let him. And then he would give me the good news about the cross and the spirit and forgiveness and new power and the, the promise of eternal life and a purpose in this world and all the good things of the gospel. He shared it and I rejected it over and over and over. By God's grace, they never gave up. And then 1993, at the age of 27, they gave it one more shot and invited me of all things, to a Luis Palau festival. I didn't really want to go to the festival, but I wanted to go to where this festival was. This festival was in Kingston, Jamaica. So I wanted the sun and the beach and red striped beer. And I figured, I know how to handle this Christian thing. Uh, and I went out there with certain things in my mind, but God was orchestrating my life and circumstances beyond what I even knew, let alone what mom and dad could have known. They were just acting by faith, doing whatever they could to get me to the feet of Jesus. And I'm, uh, uh, I wish I had time to tell you about how the Spirit of God orchestrated my life, but you know how it worked out in your life, so you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're feeling him working that out in your life right now. Let him do that work in your life. When I heard that good news, it was in a 
big crowd, thousands of people around at the Kingston National Stadium in Kingston, Jamaica. And I heard that good news and I simply turned my heart to God and I said, God, if you're real, I want to know. You have said that you will forgive me. I believe in you. Help me to understand. And he helped me to understand. He opened my eyes so that I could see what was keeping me from him, all of that garbage of my life. And he opened my eyes so that I had the capacity to simply turn to him and say, please, God, will you forgive me? And just as he promises, he says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and able to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he did it in that moment. He forgave me. He healed me and continues to heal me. He gave me a new purpose in my life, uh, new desires for my heart, and, uh, and, and, and a great purpose in this world to tell everybody what he has done and to get as many people to the feet of Jesus. So I share that with you uh, for a number of reasons, but most importantly, for those of you, you have people that you've been carrying this burden carrying them on their mats for many, many years perhaps, and the burden is heavy. And today I wanna encourage you, never give up. Never give up. You never know when that door is gonna open. And the great lesson of the pandemic that we can take for ourselves now, these trials and tribulations that we experience, nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing can stop you. Nothing should stop you from sharing the gospel. This is your opportunity. Perhaps the greatest opportunity we'll have in our lifetime is the circumstance that the world is in today. Our friends and our family and the, the, the communities around us, everything that they've put their uh, lives in, everything they've um, expected to yield something good has proven itself for what it is, uh, 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 failing them and faltering and worse. And so now I want to ask you, how will God use you? What are the ways, if you're feeling this burden in your heart, to bring people to the feet of Jesus, what would you do? Well, I made a list of things uh, that you could do just right away through the summer, but let God speak to you. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. My parents wrote me letters, they sent me books, they sick people after me. They tried everything when the Spirit prompted them, but you can write a letter. Write a letter to the person. Uh, uh, we have some resources at palau.org under resources. There are some tools that help you think through what would it be like for me to share the gospel? What would I want to say? How do I personalize it? There's some tools there. There's something called Hope with God, which is a digital uh, 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 toolkit that you can look at with resources to help you and, and give you things to send out through social media. That's another avenue. But every Sunday, bring people to church. Sit down with them in your home and, and watch church. But rather, uh, as you're able, bring them to this place. People need engagement. And it's a beautiful season where people can come to Cedar Mill Bible Church and hear the good news. Next week, uh, uh, next week is Ashley, and she's going to take us further. The weekend after that is my good friend evangelist Reed Saunders, and he is uh, de dedicated and ready to share the good news and give people an opportunity to respond, just like I'll give you in one last minute here. Um, but we have Alpha. If you want to know about more about how Alpha can help you to grow uh, as a follower of Christ and in evangelistic efforts and how you can use it to bring your friends to Christ now this summer, 
uh, just put it on the welcome card or text or email us and, and my brother Kevin and the rest of the Alpha crew will get back to you. The men's group, the youth group, the children's ministries. We're having a festival in Eastern Oregon, in Hermiston, in August. And if you know people out there, talk to me. I'll help set you up to bring them to the festival and they'll get saved just like I did at the festival. Um, there are so many ways and I'm just throwing some ideas out at you to help you to realize that there are so many ways. Ask God to open up a door for you uh, to take your friends on their mat, uh, deliver the good news, and deliver them to the good news. So let me pray with you. For those who are burdening you, let's pray for them. Others of you might say, I'd love to invite my friends to know Jesus, and I'd love to pray for them, but I'm much more like where you were, Andrew. If that's you today, maybe you've never known Christ, give him your life today. Maybe you've known him, but you've wandered off. Come back and walk with him in a fresh way. You can do that by just turning to the living God, praying and asking him to do this work on your behalf. He's waiting for you. Let's pray. And you could just say, Heavenly Father, I do love you and I believe in you and I receive you now. Thank you for dying on the cross, suffering on my behalf to pay the penalty I should have paid, please forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for heaven, my home. And I will never fear death again. And in the meantime, show me what to do. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe in you and I receive you now. Fill me with your spirit. Give me new desires, new strength. I need them and I will serve you and I will tell everyone what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's good news. If you prayed that prayer, let me know. Let someone at the church know. Let your friends know. We want to help you to grow and it begins today. God is gonna use you. God bless you.